0: Just go to indeed.com slash hack it out right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash hack it out. Terms and conditions apply. Need
1: to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to part 2 of the Hack it out podcast with Victor Hobland. We are going to be talking to Victor about nerves. We're going to be talking to Victor about his music taste and what he does off the course in between competing and we managed to stop Scott asking all the questions. It's a fun episode. Hope you enjoyed episode 1. Episode 2 is as fun that's know what you think.
2: You know, you spoke about being uncomfortable, you know, i.e. nervous on the back nine at some point. I feel like I've heard you say that, you know, very candidly and which I really appreciate. I mean, why not just talk openly? But how have you learned to successfully cope with the pressure of trying to close out a tournament? I mean, it's interesting in looking back to like DeChambeau, those last couple, you know, semest- months in college, with all due respect, I assume you're the same way. Like, 15 months ago I'm betting you didn't have a whole lot of money maybe your family's a billionaire or whatever who knows but all of a sudden you're playing golf for you know a couple hundred thousand dollars and or you know the millions of dollars in endorsements how do you compartmentalize all that like what do you do personally besides freak out yeah
3: I mean (laughs) it's, it's crazy it's gone by very quick um you know that's not what I'm focusing on when I'm playing the game and trying to win the tournament. Certainly. So I'm not nervous in the sense where I'm thinking, Oh man, this putt is worth $500,000 or whatever it might be. Uh, it's, it's just trying to win the the golf tournament and just think about what it would mean for me if I make this putt or if I can close out that thing. Uh, you know, the, I've worked so hard for it to, you know, to just kind of, thinking it might be a reality that's kind of what what gets me going and starts uh to get me shaking when i'm over the ball but um do you have any sort of visualization or meditation or anything like that that you should do <sighs> honestly he's no. So
1: chilled out meditation it <laughs> would go to sleep if he <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> i know that we both uh like
0: to
3: listen to sam harris uh i think bo she yes. told me that he's um, my favorite person on the planet so I've, yeah so i've gotten a lot of uh kind of lessons from from him, but I think in terms of of golf in a pressure situation, I, I don't think like there there might be some genetical aspects to that. Uh I'm not sure if I'm genetically predispositioned to handle those situations better or worse. I have no clue. But I think when you've when you've just played a game for so long and you've been through you've just hit the same shots all over again, you kind of just trust it. You know, I obviously played really well last or in Mexico where I won and had to make a birdie on the last. So for me, it's, it would have been, a. I think it's a lot easier to make a birdie on the last hole to win the tournament compared to having to make a birdie to make the cut for the weekend because you're not playing as well. And when you're not playing as well, you can't just force a birdie out of it you know if you're struggling with something you there's no amount of meditation or yeah. you know mental thinking acrobatics that you can do to to make it certainly or suddenly hit the ball well and and make a putt it just kind of it just kind of happens. If you're playing well, you're going to give yourself a better chance to do so than if are Actually,
2: not. I'm going to add one more question in because you brought up Sam Harris and we're going to just keep you up until uh, the sun comes up again in a couple months in Norway. But <laughs> how, how do you, because I, I try to get all of my players to get the waking up app. I actually, have, you know, that's a 10 minute meditation every day. He's got 25 different lessons in the waking up app, which are about solving problems or the you know the process, the thinking process. And I try to get people to, translate those ideas you know as they listen to it yeah he's talking about good life advice but then, now let's think of it in a golf context what kind of material do you take in from Sam Harris and how do you you know like what's your favorite things you've gotten from him because I, I, he, I he's definitely my guy
3: mm. so I I kind of listen to him for more just kind of how about or to figure out how to solve problems and kind of look at Uh, issues you know he's never he's never one to kind of be quick on the gun to say okay this is right this is wrong he kind of looks at a an issue very open-mindedly and tries to figure out the pros and cons and then you know base his decision around that um and i I think i listen to him more for just kind of philosophical um you know interests Just a very rational Um, objective
2: thought process
3: Exactly. Just kind of, you know, disregard feelings and kind of uh, biases trying to figure out, okay, how do you um, find what's right or wrong based on, you know, another measurement that uh, I mean, rationality and science, essentially, Um, I was very interested with kind of that thought process. Um,
2: well, and you're a young man that's about to make a lot of money over your, your, you know, the next 20 years. And I do think that what Sam is, is doing with his, you know, effective altruism movement that he's a part of with, you know, I'm not going to try to get you to donate 10% of your lifetime earnings here. Don't worry. But I'm just saying, I think a lot <laughs> of the message that he, uh, that he brings, is just such a good positive message. with trying to, you know, kind of a lack of free will. We don't all have the absolute control over the destiny of our lives. I know you probably accept that you've gotten very lucky. You've put in a lot of work, I'm sure, but Mm. also a lot of luck, parents, where you're born, getting introduced to golf, that you had nothing to do with that, and I think that's a great place to understand how the world works from.
3: Mm. Yeah. No, I I, I certainly, I don't think I agree with them every single time, but uh, certainly most of the time I do, Um, and I think there's, especially in the political space that we're in, uh, just because you don't agree with someone someone you can always um you know at least try to understand them and try to you know steal man their position a little bit and and just kind of understand where the other person is coming from and says the guy
2: and, who's uh, not on says the guy who's not on it. social media i think yeah exactly
0: <laughs> yeah Twitter. Yeah.
2: <laughs> okay well that's not social media that's just all right last one for me and i'll pass the baton Uh, And I promised a few people that I wouldn't lead you on a couple of the questions that I wanted very specific answers from you on. Thank you. You did very well for me and some arguments. But I'm going to lead you on this (laughs) one because I'm very opinionated on this one. And I also want to make sure that my position is understood. It's about bifurcation. And I think that the idea of bifurcating the golf ball between the pro game and the amateur game would be absolutely horrendous because it's essentially us older people who screwed up the decision earlier now just being lazy and pushing the decision down on the younger people so you with all due respect if you had come out of college and you played the NCAA championships and hit it, uh, the blessings and then the next week we're teeing it up at the memorial with a different golf ball I'm sorry but you're not going to adjust it's like people think that you couldn't get it. Like I'm arguing, you couldn't get it airborne. No, you're still going to be a really good player, but you're not going to tee it up. And in your next seven starts earn a million dollars and get your tour card. It would be, it would happen, but it would happen far less than what we've seen in the last few years. And that to me is handicapping a younger player really for no reason, other than to try to save a couple of old golf courses that really can't host a professional golf tournament anyways. So with the distance debate in golf, you know, I think that if we want to roll it back on everyone, I don't think it's necessary, but whatever. And you can go wherever you want to on this one. Do you have any thoughts or opinions on bifurcation or rollback or the distance debate? And I'm sure Lou's going to follow up with more on this, but where are you stand?
3: So, I mean, it's, I can empathize with the, with kind of where people are coming from on this, you sure. know, trying always to expand off forces and, and, just taking more and more land up to, to build golf courses built or playing is essentially the same game as we, we've kind of always played. Uh, but it's so different now the ball's going so far. Uh, but I think if you, if we do have a rollback and strictly just talking about competitive golf, I think it gives, uh, cause there, there is, I've, I've seen some complaints where oh this game is all about just hitting it far. Uh, which it's not, but it certainly helps if you can hit it long and straight. Uh, I don't think that's a secret, but if we were to suddenly roll it back even or roll it back, I think it would just give the the longer hitters an even bigger advantage. So that's not really fixing that issue. Um, now it would probably help the, the courses from for becoming obsolete in quotation marks, but um, I don't think that would really put an end to the distance debate in terms of trying to figure out edges to, to improve. You know, the Bryson would just have an even bigger
2: hundred uh, percent. But it's not even about like the courses being obsolete. That their argument mm-hmm. for the rollback is it would require less land and less maintenance. I'm like, well, the footprint of 44,000 golf courses are already there in the world. The only thing, you're not going to make them more narrow. You're not going to make them use less land. The only thing you're going to do is grow in the back tee box, potentially. I really don't think that for existing courses, it would change a single thing. So out of 44,000 courses, I don't know how many new courses we build a year, but it's not many. Um, I just, I don't see what it would do. And, And again, the bifurcation idea it, it would initially like it pushes to you and, and the, the fallback argument always defaults to like, oh, well, well, they would figure it out. Well, that's not an argument. And then they're like, well, then we push it to when you transition to college. Like, okay, well, then what about the U.S. Mid-Am players? He playing the the juiced ball in the U.S. Am, mm. the U.S. Mid-Am? Like, none of it, in my opinion, uh, makes any sense.
1: Well, it's not even a a debate, is it, generally, because none of the questions that need answering, there are answers for. So, for instance, one of the questions is, what ball would you use? Like, what would you do? Because if you change the spin model of it, well, good players can change the spin by 1,000, 2,000 revs with delivery. I mean, I did tests on a ballad, two months ago where I got it going the same distance as a modern ball because I understand deliveries. Mm. So without the actual kind of blueprint of what it means in front of us, what happens is we all go around in circles talking about nothing a little bit, I feel, with that discussion Mm. because like what's going to happen to the women's game to the men's game are we really going to polarize it even further apart by having them play a ball that's different to what the men's game plays i mean that to me and my daughter who plays just seems outrageously sexist and awful if that is what they're suggesting it's interesting i think that argument because there just isn't none of the questions are actually seem to have any answers to even from the people who want Rollback, but that's the bit that <laughs> <laughs> confuses me. It, it's like it's a little bit like Brexit in the UK. We all voted for something and we still haven't got a deal <laughs> sorted out yet, and it ends in, in Jan. Like, so what was everyone voting for? I don't know if you guys can help me out there because I haven't got a clue. <laughs> that leads me to Lou. Lou, yeah, I want to have you finished, just, uh, Scott. Uh, Scott, you yeah, have asked 700 I was questions. Drive I was gonna this gonna bus
0: check <laughs> Yeah, you did, but I wanted to comment on uh, uh, Scott bringing up the idea of different balls and I came into a collection of old golf digests and I was looking through them. They're fascinating to read through and there's one from 1954 and they asked the question, uh, what reasons can you give for the usual poor showing of foreign golfers in American tournaments? And they asked four players. One of them is Norman Von Nida from Australia. Another one is Die or Del Reese from England. They both yeah, said Di it's, Reese. It's, it's the ball. It's the ball. We come over. It's a different ball. We can't adjust. It's a completely different game. Yeah, because there was an it's,
1: American ball, which was, yeah. I think it was bigger, and we were still using small ball Yeah, back correct. Correct. Oh, not, so, not Victor. Just to put it, I wasn't alive then, <laughs> just to point that out. <laughs> <laughs> so it was
0: interesting to uh, kind of read that back then uh, they had – difficult time adjusting to a different ball so if if we change to a different ball now there would certainly be a a learning period for people that are currently playing you've been playing pro v1 era pretty much your entire life that would change overnight and that would be Definitely, some time to adjust. So I know Scott took up almost all of our time oh, here. So I I'm didn't. gonna I'm gonna scale back and, and not ask all the questions that I had. Scott's
1: still got more questions, Lim, so get on with it. Come I, on. I did. Uh, I
0: solicited <laughs> questions from all my buddies because I would just take you down a, a rabbit hole of stats questions. Uh, and, uh, but I I do have to ask one. So uh, on tour, uh, right-handed golfers typically, generally as a rule, they perform better off the tee in a right to left wind. Uh, and some of them, there's a really big discrepancy between right to left and left to right. You don't have that problem. Um, you are much tighter in wins compared to most players. And, and I was just curious if there's something you do differently when the wind is on your back if, if it's different thought different target or what it is that you're doing and and maybe you, you've never knew that and
3: really you you have a stat for that that says that
0: i do really? yeah. Lou has I, a stat for everything dang, nice. yeah.
1: uh, honestly he, if you ever want a stat just dm <laughs> lou he's going where 99 of the time notice. that i get
2: myself in arguments on twitter and people be like you can't figure that out like no 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 you can't figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've got Lou in my arsenal. <laughs> I can't figure it out either.
3: So that's, that's pretty interesting. Uh, honestly, I don't really know. Um, Cause I remember, and it's not too long ago. It's kind of recently where I've been able to turn it over or I've always hit a cut, but now I'm able to turn it over. And I would say that's helped me in the left to right wins or, if there's a hole where it's a dog leg right to left or the, the fairway slope left to right, uh, you know, it makes, it makes just the landing area a little bit bigger because I can, I can shape it kind of on an angle to where my landing angle becomes or landing spot becomes a little bit bigger. Now I will say when I did have a pretty big left to right wind and the hole doesn't really set out well for my fade. Well, I still felt like I was very accurate with my fade. So all I did was essentially just aim it, you know, 20 or 30 yards more left, depending on how hard the wind was blowing or uh, where I was going to, you know, put my dispersion essentially, uh, depending on where if the left edge of the fairway or the right edge of the fairway was better or worse. But now I, I feel like I'm able to draw it essentially up against the wind. So that's been a little bit difficult for me because I can't aim it as far left uh, with that new shot shape. I have to basically trust that it's going to draw and aim left center of the fairway instead of left rough. So I don't really know like all, I don't know if I've had a a dip in that stat recently or if they've just kind of been the same. I, I really don't know, but I feel like I'm, I'm good at essentially aiming my dispersion independent on wind or yeah, other kind of factors.
1: Lou, I've got a stat for you, Lou. I think I've outdone you. i this is the first time I'm going to have a stat that I don't reckon you've got the answer for windiest city in America, Lou. What is it?
0: Uh, I, I mean, the default answer is
1: Chicago, right? They call okay, it the Bo- windy it's city. It's
0: Boston. Is it Boston? Eh?
1: Second windiest, yeah, second windiest city. Oklahoma City.
0: <laughs> well, it definitely helps in
2: Stillwater. That's a fact.
1: That, helped, that helps too.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. You grow people up or you get people learning their trade in the winds. They're not afraid of it as well, possibly. Uh, I don't know. Maybe yeah, it's that a was, of, a, that's an, that an interesting a very, thought. That was a yeah. very
3: simple answer. Yeah, I can't believe I, like, overlooked that. Good <laughs> one. <Yeah>. one. <laughs> I got him on a
1: stat. That's the biggest <laughs> thing here. I think everyone needs to appreciate. Uh, I, I, so... so
0: I, uh, I'm going to go into the bag now of, uh, of all the questions I got from some players I talked to. And uh, one of them wanted to know, what, what's a typical day look like for you uh, as far as practice and training? You know, when you're not traveling week to week, what, what, what is that like? Weekend warriors like me, I, I roll up to the tee, I hit 15 balls, I, I may drink a cup of coffee and and I it and I go. Um, what what is uh, and then I never hit balls in between. What does your in between look like? What, what's typical for you?
3: Yeah, uh, obviously I live in Stillwater, Oklahoma, and there's not a whole lot to do there. Um, you know, Zach Bosch is still my roommate, and we we still play with the with the guys on the team a lot. So uh, my days are still spent playing golf for for the most part. Um, I've I like to work out. I usually you know, either do some sort of lifting or, or uh, cardio, depending on the day. Um, And uh, y'all head out to the course, not, not too early. I like to sleep in, Uh, usually have lunch at the course and, and um, hit balls for an hour on the range, do some putting and chipping, and then uh, pretty much just play nine holes with the, with the guys and call it a day. Uh, It's not like I'm out there 10, 12 hours a day. I like to kind of get my work in and, and um, be very, you know, precise in my practice and kind of feel like I'm, I'm getting, getting better at what I'm doing. If I'm, if I'm putting the time down. So
0: are you playing a lot of different games when you're out practicing and are you tracking your progress in some of those games?
3: So I've always, I've not been as good as doing that. Um, I would always say like, I've, Especially in college, I would spend so much time in front of a mirror and it would be so hot outside, but I would still be in that indoor kind of facility that we have at Carson just in front of the mirror, uh, working on my swing. Cause I felt like uh as to my point before, uh I was I I struggled with a bigger slice and I wanted to to you know get that um you know a little straightened out. Um, so for me to try to figure out a game to where, okay, I need to hit seven out of 10 iron shots within a certain area. You know, I was already really good at that stuff when I was playing a tournament because I knew my dispersion. I knew how much it was going to cut, but it me off so much that it was cutting that much. So I just basically delegated all my time into trying to fix in that
0: interesting yeah it's really interesting all right, i'm going to move on to the to the next one and i think that might be the last one given uh given the time <laughs> check here um <laughs> simple non-golf related um what what are you doing when you're not you know golfing or or you know training What what what's your, what are your hobbies uh,
3: i uh i'm not really big of a, a sports guy um i just play golf that's that's kind of all i do with with sports and and work out, um, but I, I really like poker. I like to study poker, and and um, I've been listening a lot to Jonathan Little. I think he's uh, he's pretty smart and interesting, um, and uh, I, I really enjoy music. I listen to some, some really hard kind of metal stuff. Um, so I listen to a lot of different bands. It's like my favorite bands are Architects, uh, North Lane, um kill switch engage um kind of you know standard metal core, but then I do like some yeah. you know a lot of kind of subgenres as well like um a new metal and progressive metal death core and and get into some other subgenres of uh, of metal so i i'm I'm really fascinated about that stuff, yeah. <laughs>
1: Death whenever metal. lou answers the phone he's
0: always got death metal on in so, the back well he, you know funny. i am uh originally from buffalo new york and uh, buffalo new york uh, really was kind of the home of where death metal started really and some of the guys that are, yeah yeah buffalo new york so cannibal corpse you oh, probably know who they wow, are yeah right they're from they're from buffalo that's kind of it started back then and some of the guys that i used to work with when i lived back there they were part of that scene and one of them was one of the original members of the oh, wow. Corpse back then so um i i, w- I got a uh, more of an education on death metal than uh, than maybe i wanted <laughs>
1: it's always the quiet one scott exactly <laughs> exactly
2: i mean well i like Lincoln park and the old metallica yeah. stuff and so i mean i like so, a little bit little bit harder stuff but death metal isn't quite uh i got i got kill switch engaged up here i'm going to listen to it while <laughs> i work out here in a second so to it's, see if it
3: it's funny that's kind of how i started i've always liked Lincoln park and And Metallica and Iron Maiden and I just didn't listen to any of the other stuff Uh, so now when I was older um, or I wasn't very old but I went with my old coach uh, he's from Sweden and we drove from Norway to Sweden early in the year because we could hit outside we could uh, we could see the ball fly because in Norway it was too cold and we had to hit indoors so on these road trips he would listen to these songs and I'm like wow, Ramstein, that's, that's pretty cool. You know, Metallica, it's good stuff. And then I went back home after this trip and I just tried to kind of broaden my taste a little bit. And I listened to, I remember I listened to System of a Down when I got back home uh, because that was very big at the time. And uh, I listened to Chop Suey and I just remember thinking, man, this is, this is a mess. I don't know how people listen to this. (laughs) <laughs> and and like the next day i checked it out again i'm like okay it's kind of grown on me and then it, it's just kind of been that process with every single band initially my first thought is yeah is wow this sounds horrific this is just noise and then you listen to it a couple more times and then you just you just kind of get it uh, I haven't, yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't quite gotten it there, there with Cannibal Corpse, but um, uh, it, it's, I, I still listen to some pretty other, uh, pretty, pretty heavy stuff.
2: I've got one last one from Twitter before Mark tidies this up, and this is from Amina in Moscow she wanted me to tell you that she loves you oh wow and what is your favorite food dish to eat maybe in case you ever played the moscow <laughs> open or something uh amina She's might, uh, might be available yeah.
3: what's, <laughs> what, what, i don't what's know your if favorite they have uh, great indian food in, in russia but um uh, my favorite food is indian
1: food um i know they have in, in england mark you could probably uh oh yeah 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 great indian cuisine in england absolutely yeah Indian cuisine gets everywhere. It's just good food. I reckon they will have it in Russia. She's probably got the rice on as we speak. <laughs> Damn it! I was I was looking for uh, an album. <laughs> a way out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just dropped you straight in. I've got one last question that I need to ask. It's a Twitter one. We'll keep it short. It's the pump. People want to know a bit about where the pump swing comes. The pause at the top. Will mm. it be seen more in twenty twenty one? Is that something you've done all your career? Have you measured it as well? Like how much quicker do you get with that compared not the pump? Um, what have you got to tell us about the pump swing that obviously people know you for? Yeah. It's a standout thing you do, isn't it? So
3: um, I used it as a drill a few years ago because as I mentioned earlier, uh, I got a bit too much over the top and I was slicing the ball too much. So uh, to try to kind of square that out, I paused at the top because I found that my hands weren't going as far out in the downswing, um, and I would fix my path a little bit. You know, instead of being four out, it would be, you know, more neutral, and I could hold a couple more fairways. I could hold it up against the wind a little bit better. And uh, on track, man, he probably gain, I don't know, two to three miles per hour ball speed. So nothing significant, but it was definitely a little bit, and I thought it was, it was worth doing. Um, yeah. Over the last year, year and a half, I've done it. You know, during some moments, I've done it more so than others. Uh, and I've had stretches where I haven't used it because I felt like I was hitting my normal swing better or I was swinging it better, so I didn't need it. Um, but recently now, I've I've gone up from a 43 and a half uh, or 44 and a quarter or three-quarter inch driver to now 45 and three-quarter inch uh, driver. Yeah. And for some reason now-
2: looking
3: longer i am so i've gained probably about five miles an hour ball speed uh just in the last couple months um
1: and for some reason did you do that in arizona with the ping guys or did you just do that on your own back? no i think i tested
3: it out in uh gosh i can't remember uh, an event on an event yep um and for some reason just my my mechanics changed a little bit because i'm trying to go not am I swinging it faster because the club is longer. I'm also trying to swing faster. So my backswing is a lot faster and, you know, my triggers uh, are just more accentuated um, and I'm just doing everything a little faster. So the swing is not as much over the top anymore. Uh, so for me, I've kind of fixed that issue. I, I hope I won't go back to the double pump because that's, that feels like I've almost, uh, degress a little bit
1: or regress okay that's interesting I've never heard that so it was more you it's a drill that you've taken to the course yep. in effect mm-hmm. interesting yeah,
0: do you yeah, think cool. uh, the double pump it added two to three miles per hour do you think a triple pump would add even more <laughs> so, <laughs> I, so I actually did try that too Oh yeah, uh, really? Uh, it, it, did, it was uh, there's a sweet spot. Sweet spot. Yeah. Two is the sweet spot. Yeah. All right, guys. I, I tried to take it
2: to the top as I'm got my quest for for 130. I tried to take it to the top and stop and really reach further ah. back. And I, I damn near missed my uh my net return and almost put one through my bar. So I, I'll, I'll I'll save that one for the driving range before I try to really put it in play.
1: Excellent. Good stuff. Well, thank you, Victor, for your time. Brilliant. I yeah, really fun. enjoyed that the chat yeah um we're all wishing you a successful 2021 as i'm sure you have as your career is showing already thank you thank scott you. for your many questions this evening <laughs> as well
2: congratulations all again, on all your scott.
1: success victor <laughs> and, and lou, is, all, I, lou all those really good questions you've still got to ask you can just ask me or scott and we can try and answer them because obviously yeah, scott so took up good. all the time thanks, thanks, thanks for, for coming on victor. Yeah, thank you, thank, yeah, you, you thank you very much victor yeah. thank you very you, much you are our for first everybody.
2: Our first guest, Victor, and it was a great one. Oh, Appreciate what a, it. <laughs> a
1: bombshell of the first guest, eh? What a bombshell of a first guest, <laughs> fantastic. Brilliant stuff from Victor there. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you enjoyed the podcast, make sure you hit those stars down below. Give us a review. If you felt like Scott asked too many questions there, maybe tell us in the review and make sure you hit those stars. Why? <laughs> I told you time. I was going to ask a <laughs> much. <laughs> Have a great... It's, it's the new year because obviously we've obviously filmed this before Christmas because we were talking about Christmas, but it is the new year, so I'm wishing everybody listening a happy new year. Let's hope 2021 will be a spectacular year for everyone. Thanks for listening as always.